Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a great blessing that we may be here again to join in worship of our triune God. A particular welcome to any visitors. May you enjoy fellowship as you worship with us. And may the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. You are advised that Classis North will, the Lord willing, be convened by the Pre-Reformed Church of Kelmscott on the 20th of October, commencing at 9am. The main item on the agenda will be the examination of candidate Tim Slar. Attestations have been requested by Sister Heather Bosch to the Pre-Reformed Church of Comet Bay and by Brother Mitchell Visser to the Elder Grove Canadian Reformed Church. We wish them God's blessings in their new congregation. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by our own minister, Reverend Poppy, And before we commence the service, let us sing Psalm 78, verse 1. That's Psalm 78, verse 1. Sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise today from Psalm 147, the verses 1 and 6.
Brothers and sisters, in Romans 10 verse 9, the Lord tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's make that confession this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn 1. Let's pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, it is by means of your word that you work faith in our hearts. It's through your word that you build up a church, a communion of people who believe in you, who gather together in order to worship you. Thank you, Father that you work this out with your word and spirit. Thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ is seated on the throne in heaven, and it is his joy to share his work with many people. He has sent down his spirit into this world so that his word is proclaimed and that we may believe. Father, we're, we're a long ways away from, from Israel. We're a long ways from Jerusalem. It was a long time ago that our Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again, and yet, your people are gathered around the world in this day. We are gathered here in order to praise you and to glorify you and to worship you. We thank you that you have accomplished this. We give you much praise and glory for the great work that you do in our hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, that the reason you gather us together here is to tell us about the message of the gospel. Sunday after Sunday, we get to hear the gospel. We get to see it through new eyes. We get to appreciate it through a new lens. We want to ask, Father, that you would work faith in our hearts, that we may believe what you say, that we take it to heart, and that we build our lives on it. Please give us your Holy Spirit so that we understand and appreciate what you say, 
that you would work conversion in our hearts and that you work out our sanctification, that more and more our lives are devoted to you. Father, thank you that this is your joy, and we pray that for the sake of your Son, that you make it a reality. Please accept the songs that we sing and the thank offerings we bring and the prayers that we offer. Please be glorified by our worship, Father. Help us to do it from glad and sincere hearts. We pray it in the forgiveness of our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I will preach the gospel to you concerning the, the manner in which our Lord Jesus works faith in the hearts of his people and strengthens that faith. We'll look at two passages of scripture in connection with that. One place that the Lord talks about this is, is in 1 Peter 1, and then also there's some words in James 1. So I invite you to open your Bible with me, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to chapter 2, verse 3. You can find that on page 1203 of your guest Bible. So 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 13. There God's word says, Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So far, a reading from Peter. I'm going to go back to James, a few pages back. James chapter 1, starting at verse 16, found that on page 1199. James 1, verse 16, to the end of the chapter. There God's word says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We'll sing from Psalm 19, the verses 3 and 5.
This afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the origin of faith. I'm going to look at what the scripture teaches us as it's also summarized for us in Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 539 of your book of praise. The heading above Lord's Day 25 is Word and Sacraments. Since then, faith alone makes a share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does his faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? Sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. Then after the proclamation of the gospel, we're going to sing together from Psalm 119, verses 37, 39, and 40. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the questions that I love to ask people is the question, how did you come to faith in Christ? I ask this of my catechism students. If you're in my pre-confession class and you're looking forward to making public profession of faith, I ask the students to write a one, two-page document, just write me a letter and tell me about your journey of faith. How did you come to faith in Christ? What does it mean for you to live in a relationship with Jesus Christ? And how has God worked in your life in order to bring that faith to maturity? Well, it's really quite revealing, especially if you, you ask the question year after year. Oftentimes, the first paragraph is really quite similar. Young people will tell you about how they grew up in a Christian family, how they came to, to know God, and they, they were taught the Bible stories, and their parents taught them about who the Lord is. They did devotions around the dinner table. They came to a Christian school. They came to church, and they really grew in faith in Christ. And for some of the young people, that's where it ends. But there's actually quite a few young people who will go on and who will talk about how that developed and where it went from there. And, and that's where it gets really interesting. They'll tell me some stories of their life, which is really unique to them. And some of those stories are just really beautiful things that God worked in their hearts. They were really encouraged by the love and the kindness of their parents. Or they really came to understand the grace of God and the love of God. And it's something that touched their hearts and that changed their lives. They really came to appreciate the beauty of God's creation. And they stood in awe of the glory of the Creator. And they wanted to praise Him. They often talked about some of the good books they read, or some of the good friends that they had, 
or sometimes how they hit a reset at NYC. But then at the same time, many of the young people, they're also quite open about some of the struggles that they faced and the challenges in their faith. Challenges with lust and with porn. Challenges because of the death of someone who's close. Or because of anxiety. Or struggles with depression. Or with body image. Or with a lack of prayer in their lives. Some of them have been really scarred by a friend who've left the faith or others with stresses at school, or others with conflict with parents. Being a Christian and coming to faith and growing in faith is often not an easy thing. It's often really quite challenging. Yet it's really interesting when you listen to the young people and when they describe the stories for you, and oftentimes one of the things that stands out is that they speak about how God used his word to touch their hearts and lives and how God drew them close to him through the gospel. And what's true for young people is often even more true for those who come out of darkness. If you ask the story of someone who comes out of darkness, you know, how did you come to a living faith in Jesus Christ? Then oftentimes they'll tell you at the beginning it was a bit rocky. Early days, when they were a kid, then they they went to Sunday school, or they went to some Anglican school somewhere, and it didn't really register, it didn't really make sense. Or maybe they they came across the gospel in a rehab program. They kind of heard it, and they kind of knew the message, but it never really registered. But then they say, often what happens is that at some point, they met someone. And when they met that person, they were just a really unique individual. He was really kind. He was honest. He was upfront. He was different from a lot of others. And it was both intriguing and challenging to get to know that person because they came to realize that the person was a Christian. And so on the one hand, they're deeply interested in what is it that makes them tick? And on the other hand, they're also a bit weary, are they going to judge me? And so many times there was some initial conversation, it kind of grew, maybe the Christian extended some hospitality, come out for a coffee or come over to my place for dinner. And oftentimes it led to another invitation, do you want to read the Bible together? And that is often the turning point. It's when they started reading the Bible together. That's the means that God used to work a change in their heart. I was just recently talking to a woman and she told the story. She had a very fragile faith. She first heard the gospel, someone shared it with her, and then she really, really wanted something. She wanted to be accepted to a certain university. And God said no. And he closed that door and it shattered her faith. And sometimes later, she was in university and there was a professor who invited her and others to come sit with him for lunch. And he said, we'll read the Bible together. And she said she went to lunch together with him, went to his room, sat in class, and they read the Bible together. And she said, it was like honey dripping in my soul. It was like a honeymoon. And that was the time where I came to great faith in Christ. Well, this is what we confess this afternoon, brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit works faith 
in the hearts and lives of his people. And he does it through the word. It's not magic. It's not hard. You don't need to have all sorts of special training. The core thing is reading the Bible with another person. It's when you read the word with your children. And it's when you read the word with someone who's new to the faith that God uses that to change people so they come to know him. That's really the, the message here in Lord's Day 25. I preach God's word to you this afternoon with this theme, the spirit uses the powerful word to give us life. We'll see in the first place the need for this word, and then secondly, the focus of this word. So the one place, or the few places in the Bible where the Lord talks about how he first gives faith to people, we just read two passages in the scriptures here, brothers and sisters. The first passage we read together is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 and following. Verse 22 and following, it says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You have been born again of an imperishable seed through the word of God. If you are someone who has walked in darkness and you've come into the light, then the means by which God brought you to life is his word. It's this honey that drips into your soul. It's at some point in your heart that you, that you heard the word, and the Lord used that to convict you, to touch you, and he changed you. He made you into a new person. What God's saying here is he's saying, not just for, for new people to come to faith, but he's also saying for children. Our children are, are born in sin. They're dead in sin. They're estranged from God. They need to be born again in order to share in the blessings of God. And how does, our, how does God work that about? How does he affect change? Well, he does so through, the, through this word. They are born again when the word comes into their hearts, when they hear it and when they believe it. We heard this morning that, that the way to share in the promises of God, the way to share in the Lord himself, is by taking those promises to heart. And the way the Lord brings us to the stage that we take the promises to heart is when we read his word and when we contemplate it and when we believe it to be true. We read together from the Apostle James. James wrote, wrote in, in chapter 1 there. He wrote a couple of things about the word here. He says in verse 18, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God brought us forth, literally, he gave us birth by the word of truth. We heard this morning that the Lord desires to bless us. He enters into this covenant relationship with the intent to bless. And how does he bless? He blesses when we take the promises to heart, when we believe them. And it's how does he bring us to the point of doing that? It is through this word. He gives us birth. He makes us into new people. We are reborn, spiritually reborn, when we hear the word and when we take it to heart. 
James talks a bit more about it in verse 21. He tells us there, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The important question is, what's the approach to the word? God gives you his word. Maybe as a child you, you grew up in a Christian family and you heard the word. But the real question is, what do you do with it? Or when you come to church, you hear the word. But the real question is, how do you respond? By nature, our gut instinct, our, our most natural way of dealing with life, is that if we've heard something before, and if we already ever understand it, then usually it doesn't grip us, and it doesn't get our attention. The only things that get our attention are things that are, that are interesting, that are important, that are new, that are dangerous, that could have an impact in our lives. And the reason this is important for us when it comes to the word is that when you are a longtime Christian who's heard the word for year after year, for decade after decade, it's really easy to get into the mindset that been there, done that. I know what the word says. And you gloss it over and you pass by it. Or you sit in church and unless the minister is saying something really gripping, the natural reaction is to go off in your head thinking about the things that are coming up this next week. The Lord calls us here to meekly, meekly accept the implanted word. He says, you need to humble yourself before my word. You need to take it to heart. That's quite a, quite a calling, to be humble, to accept the fact that God has something to say to me, and I need to hear this, and I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to reflect on that, and I'm going to think about how that applies in my life. New Christians do it because it's all new, and it's all exciting, and they can't wait to hear what God says. And they read and read and read and read, and they grow very quickly in a great understanding of God. But for us mature Christians, sometimes it's hard to keep that same level of enthusiasm. My devotions this past week is reading the book of 1 Kings. Such a sad story. The story of Solomon. He's so wise. The first 10 chapters, he does what's right. He is a righteous king. He exercises true justice. He administers wisdom. His kingdom is profoundly blessed. You read the prayer that he offers to God. He has an intimate relationship with his father, and he prays this earnest prayer from the heart, pleading with God for his grace and love. And then you get to chapter 11. And this wise king, his heart turns away from the Lord. In his old age, he is not fully devoted to the Lord his God. He made these, these temples and these shrines for his wives so that they could serve their gods. And in the end, they ended up leaving in his heart astray so that he wasn't fully devoted to the Lord his God. Well, how do you stay faithful? How do you endure 
through to the end. The author to the Hebrews, he, he considers that question. He's writing to these Christians who are suffering for the sake of their faith. The first three chapters, he repeatedly warns the people to pay close attention to the word of God because he says, otherwise, you're going to lose sight of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2 verse 1, Therefore we must place the much closer, the more, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In chapter 3 verse 7, he continues, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He reminds them, he says, not all the Israelites enter the promised land. He said, most of them didn't make it in. And now he's saying, make sure that doesn't happen to you. There is the ultimate land of promise that stands before you. And make sure that you actually share. Hebrews 3 verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart living you to fall away from the living, leading you to fall away from the living God. And so in Hebrews 4 verse 1 and 2, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. God's saying, if you hear the word, it's not enough to just hear it. He said what we heard this morning, you must combine it with faith. You must believe what it says. You must meekly accept the implanted word. You must build your life on the promises that God gives. It's the only way to share in Christ, and it's the only way to enter his rest. Now today, brothers and sisters, we're not persecuted like the Christians were in, in the book of Hebrews. We don't face the confiscation of our property. We're not being thrown in jail. We haven't lost a lot of the the blessings, the businesses, and the, the wealth that we once had. That was their life, and it's, it's quite different for us. It's not to say there's no challenges. If you're a faithful Christian, then sometimes it does cost you your job. If you're willing to stand up for what's right, then sometimes that does cost you. People will mock you, or they'll make fun of you, or they'll exclude you. One of the things this past week that just happened here is the, uh, the WA legislature, they passed the law concerning abortion. We have among the most liberal laws surrounding abortion anywhere in the world. A couple of things that they passed, they said you don't need counseling prior to having an abortion. You can get a late-term abortion, sorry, abortion without it being approved by a panel of doctors. It used to be that you could only get an abortion a late-term after 20 weeks. They pushed that up to 23 weeks, so they gave a bunch of extra time for you to, to get an abortion without it being called late term. They said now that a mature minor, that's someone who's under 16, if the doctor thinks that you're a mature person, even though you're not yet 16 years old, you can get an abortion without the approval of your parents. They also said that you're allowed to have a conscientious objection against abortion if you're a doctor, but they said, if you, if you do that, then by law, you must refer to the person to another doctor who will perform the abortion. And so they changed a bunch of laws. They made abortion much more accessible. There's no longer two doctors who need to sign off for you to get an abortion. You can do that with a single doctor. And so it's accessible, and it's easy, and it's promoted. 
Will you speak out against that, brothers and sisters? If you, you raise that in your workplace, and you speak to other people about that, and you say that this is, this is a terrible travesty, that the weakest, the most innocent people in our society are being murdered, and that they don't have a voice. When you write that in the newspaper, you have that conversation at work, it's likely that you'll get some pushback from people. Some people would be pretty unhappy with you for saying that. But that's about as far as it goes. We're not yet being thrown in prison. We're not yet suffering the way that the people did in these times. Well, it's in this context, if ever we do face attacks, to the extent to which we do, one of the greatest gifts that God gives is the gift of his word. The Christians there, they're tempted to give up. They're tempted to go back to their former life. They're tempted to leave Jesus Christ and say, it's not worth it. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. And the author says, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it. Because Christ is totally worth it. He is the greatest. Greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, greater than the old covenant, greater than the sacrifice of the Old Testament. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you share in God. Then you'll be richly blessed. And then he says, God will help you with that. And how does he help you? He helps you with his word. In Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, then he talks about the Bible as the word of truth and that it reveals not only God, but it also reveals us to ourselves. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If you're a mature Christian, and if you're drifting and apathetic in your faith, then one of the greatest things that the Lord gives you is the gift of his word. Because the Lord reveals yourself to you by means of his word. He shows you what's really going on in your heart. If you're tempted to give up Christ because it's not worth it, because the cost is too great, and because you don't want to put up with the persecution that you're suffering, then one of the great gifts that God gives you is the gift of the word. Because he shows you who he is, and he helps you to see you for who you are. One of the things the author says here, he says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Lord knows you, brothers and sisters. He sees deep into your heart. He knows what lives in your soul. He knows the truth of your life. He's actually, it's really interesting here in this passage, it emphasizes how vulnerable we are. It says here, that we are naked and exposed. And it's not a, a physically naked, but our hearts are naked. God can see into our hearts, and he knows what really lives there. And the word for exposed here, literally it was, it was used in the Greek language of someone who's about to get executed. The executioner would take your neck and pull your neck back so that your neck is exposed, and then you would be executed. And that's the context here, that's the, the illusion that, the, that the, uh, the author is using here to speak about the word. What really lives in you is totally exposed. 
And the way God does that is by means of his word. The word speaks into your soul, and it shows what really lives there. It shows it to God, and it shows it to you. One of the things that sometimes happens to us, brothers and sisters, is that we think really highly of ourselves. We're not really honest with ourselves but what's going on in our hearts. And so the great gift of God is that he exposes that to us. Sometimes when we're dishonest, then the best thing we need is we need someone to speak the truth to us. Well, the Lord confronts us. The word is often referred to as a light that shines in a dark place. So 119, 105, or John 13, verse 9. The author to the Hebrews, he explains how powerful the word is. He says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is living, and it's active. It's not just quaint stories about people long ago. These are the very words of the living God. The Lord is alive, and he speaks to you through the Bible, and he speaks into your life. When you read the Bible, then you come in contact with the most powerful person in the world, and he tells you the truth about who he is and about who you are. He's the one who made you, and he loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. And if you're going astray, then he calls it out in you, and he shows you what you need to do and how you need to come back to him. The word is active. At root, this word for active means to have energy. God's word has energy. It is powerful. God exposes the heart. He pierces us to the core of our being. He allows us to know our sin so that we can repent of it, that we can humble ourselves before him, and we can seek his face. Well, these people, they desperately needed the help of the Lord. They were tempted to make compromises and to slide back into their old way of life. And so the author says, he says, don't do it. He says, Christ is worth it. And he says, when you read the word, then you'll see who Christ really is. And you'll see how you're being tempted with wrong things to go astray. And so read the word and take it to heart and allow your life to be impacted by that word. Well, if you're ever struggling, brothers and sisters, you can ask Jesus Christ for help. You can ask him to draw you back to him, that you may believe in him, that you're not apathetic, that you not give sin a place in your life. And the Lord delights to do that. And the means he uses is his powerful word. And so read the word and take it to heart. And come to church and listen to what he says. He wants to focus your attention on Jesus Christ and who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. So that you trust him and that you walk with him and that you receive God's blessing in your lives. And the good news is that the Lord not only offers this to you, brothers and sisters, but he works it out for you. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he ascended into heaven after strengthening himself with the word and after living out the word during the time that he lived here on earth, then he ascended into heaven and he sends down his Holy Spirit into our hearts to apply that word to our hearts and lives. The Holy Spirit convicts us of the truth. Just before 
Christ ascended into heaven, then in John 14, verse 26, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Christ will teach you all things through his Spirit. If you are a young person, and if you're struggling with doubt, or if you're struggling with temptation, or if you're struggling because of some of the difficulties that you faced, then the Lord offers you his help here. He will send his comforter, his counselor, his paraclete into your heart, and he will draw you back to him. He will reveal Christ to you, and he will lead you into a relationship with him. In John 15, verse 26, we're told that the Spirit would witness to us about Christ. That's what the Spirit does. With the Word, he speaks into our heart, and he reminds us who Christ is and what Christ has done. He fills us with love for Christ, so that we do believe in him, that we put our trust in him. In John 16, verse 13, Christ promises, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. If you are drifting, if you are struggling, you can ask for the spirit of truth, brothers and sisters. When you read the word, when you listen to the preaching, when you engage with the word, that God uses that to draw you close to him. If you want to grow, then live the life of a new Christian. When you're new to the faith, you just can't get enough. You read and read and read the word. And you take notes. And you write out passages that strike you. And you share them with the people around you. And that's what your conversation is full of. I read this passage and this is what the Lord said. And this is the promise that he extended to me. And when you do that, brothers and sisters, then the word, it settles in your heart. The Lord draws you near to him. And you grow immensely. We've got a bunch of people in our church who are in that space right now. They spend a lot of time in the Word because they love the Lord and because they want to get to know Him more and more. And they're, they're very busy reading the Scriptures. And you talk with them and you see how six months ago they're a very per- different person from today and how a year or two years or five years ago they've grown immensely in an intimate relationship with God and they've done it through the Word. Well, this is your Father's great delight for you, brothers and sisters. He wants you to share in the promise. And so he says, read the word, and I'll use that to change your life. In the coming weeks, we're also going to see how he then not only gives faith, but he also strengthens that faith through the use of the sacraments. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's celebrate the gift of this word, Psalm 119, the verses 37, 39, and 40.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Almighty God and Father in heaven, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. Thank you, Father, that, that you have had your word written down, that our Lord Jesus Christ came in fulfillment to the promises of the gospel in the Old Testament, and that he revealed your word even more fully to us during the time he lived among us. Thank you, Lord, for the writings of the apostles, that they wrote down the gospel to teach us about how Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of the, the promises that you've given. And thank you, Lord, that through these words that you speak into our hearts and into our lives today. Father, we honor you for the power, the energy that your word has. It has the power to, de to destroy the devil's strongholds. It has the ability to teach us the truth and to lead and guide us in a relationship with you. It has the ability, Lord, to bring us to maturity, to help us to focus our attention on who Christ is and what he's done for us, so that we can live an intimate life and fellowship together with you. Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts a desire to read your word. We pray that you give us a spirit of meekness, that we would humbly accept the implanted word. We pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom to be able to read the word to our children and to those with whom we come in contact who don't know you, and that we're able to lay the scriptures on their hearts so that they may believe in you, that the word may be implanted in them, that they can be born again, that they may share in Christ's righteousness. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would continue to lead us who are mature Christians in greater maturity before you, it's so beautiful to hear the testimony of the psalmist here in Psalm 119. He loved your law, and he loved your word, and he spent all his time growing an understanding of it. And the result is that he was wiser by far than all his teachers. Lord, that's the gift that you give. It's when we seek your face, when we draw near to you, when we open your word and take it to heart and seek to grow in it, then you reveal yourself to us, and then we know you, and, and more and more of your heart is exposed to us and we walk with increasing intimacy together with you. Father, thank you for this immense gift. We pray that you would do this for us. We also pray, Father, that you would be near to those who, who struggle, those who are persecuted because of their faith. There are some members of our church who, who believe in you and they expect their help from you, but they have family members and they have friends who challenge them and who hate them because of it. And that's one of the most difficult places to be, when we have those who know us and who love us, who then reject us and turn their backs on us and who condemn us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use your powerful word to comfort them, that you would be near to them with your Holy Spirit and that you would grant the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please grant us, Father, that we may be faithful to you through to the end, that we not turn back from you and that we not leave you, but that we trust you and that we expect that you will indeed carry us through, and that you will comfort us. Father, thank you so much for putting us into a communion of the saints, that we're surrounded by other brothers and sisters who know and love you, and that together we can build each other up in the faith. And thank you for all the new believers who you bring to us, that they have a growing faith in you, and they have a great excitement in knowing you. It's so beautiful for us who are mature in our faith to see that, and so wonderful for us to learn from that. And it's so wonderful for them to learn from us. They can see what the Christian faith looks like and how it is to be put into practice. 
and what kind of effect it has in your lives, in our lives, over the course of the, the years and decades. Father, we pray that you would bless all of us, that as you give us to each other and as we share the hope that is within us, that we can mutually encourage one another in faith in you. We also pray that you would help us to raise our children to know and love you, and that you also bring many more people into our church to share in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you that this is your joy. Thank you that you promised to do this. Thank you that we can ask you to, to fulfill that promise, and that we can know that you will delight to do that for Jesus' sake. Father, we pray that you would please then grant that we may be a light on a hill, that we may be a blessing in our society. We also wish to, to bring our government before your throne of grace this afternoon, Lord. This past week, the government here in WA has passed other laws surrounding abortion. Lord, it's, it's deeply distressing to hear what, what has been passed and, and to hear about the laws that exist in our, in our land. We're really saddened to, to know that, that a woman can get an abortion and that this is legal. And we're saddened to know that this is much easier for a woman to do. There's less oversight of the doctors. There's less need for a person to have approval from their parents. People are able to, to secure an abortion, and, and it's easily accessible. And the more easily it is accessible, Father, we know the more it happens. And so we wish to entrust this to your throne of grace. We wish to pray, Lord, that you work a change within our land. As children are being put to death, Lord, then in the end that leads to your judgment. As a nation, we're storing up wrath for ourselves. We want to humble ourselves before you. We want to pray, Father, that, that you would please grant us your grace. If there's anyone among us who's had an abortion, we want to pray, Father, for the grace of forgiveness. Thank you that you're a God who does forgive, that you're a God who who justifies us, who cleanses us, and who makes us into new people. Father, we also pray that you would please protect us from going in that direction. Sometimes if a young woman gets pregnant, then there's so much shame, and it seems easier to have an abortion instead of let everyone know what has happened. And Lord, we pray that you would protect our young people from that, that they not secure an abortion, that they not kill their babies, but rather, Lord, that they would please receive the the support that they need in order to, to deal with this, to come to grips with their sin, and also to have support to, to raise their children. Lord, thank you that, that you put us into a community, and that we can love and support and care for each other in these ways. And we pray that you give us the grace to be able to do it well. And then, Father, we also want to ask for our nation that you would please protect our nation from this sin, that you work a change of heart among the people that that we recognize that children are a gift from you and that we seek to protect those who are most vulnerable. Thank you, Lord, that you have the power to effect change. And thank you that it is your joy and your delight to do so. And so we pray for Jesus' sake that you would bring about this change and that you rescue us from evil. Father in heaven, we ask that you would work a change in our government. That our government recognizes that this ought not to be and that there can be a change in legislation and a change in the soul of the nation, that it may be different. Dear Father in heaven, we also wish to pray that you please take care of our government and the other decisions that they make. We want to ask that you give them wisdom, that they seek to pass righteous laws, 
that they uphold these laws in righteousness as well, that true justice may be administered so that there can be righteous relationships in our society. Father, thank you for the courts. Thank you for the judges. Thank you for the legal code that we have. Thank you that we live in a place where there is the rule of law. We pray that you bless these means so that there can be peace and justice and righteousness in our land. Father, we also wish to ask you that you would help us as a church to also be a witness in these matters as well. Grant that we're able to speak to our elected representatives, that we're able to speak to our co-workers and friends and neighbors, and that we're able to share the hope and the, the righteousness that you teach us. I also wish to pray, Father, that you take care of us in all the other circumstances of our lives. Students have completed another term at school. We're grateful for that. We ask for your blessing over that. Now is the time of holidays. I want to entrust the teachers and the students to you, Lord. I want to pray for your blessing over that. Grant them a time of rest and refreshment. Grant that they're able to have some energy again. It's usually in the last term, that's when there's, there's again, a fair bit of pressure. There's a bunch of work that needs to get done. And also for, for the year 11 and 12, so there's, there's exams that need to be written in not too distant future. We ask, Father, that you assist the young people through this, that you help the teachers to prepare for this, and that it may go well for them. Grant that the learning experience can be a beautiful experience, that it can be a shared endeavor to grow in an understanding of you and your world, and that this may lead to to a blessing for our children. Father in heaven, we also wish to ask you that you grant rest and refreshment for those who are on holidays, that you keep them safe on the roads, and that you bring them back in due time. Thank you that we can entrust these things to you, and thank you for your love and care in in providing these things. Please forgive us our sins now, Lord. Please hear our prayer, and please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you're now given the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this afternoon is for the South African needy churches. You're the Free Reformed Churches of South Africa. Some of these churches are quite busy in mission work, and they also have some financial need through that. Then after the collection for that, we're going to sing together from hymn 47. We'll sing the verses 1, 4, and 5.
Receive now the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.